So this morning, we have the opportunity to continue to look at the habits that we make a part of our life. We've said throughout this series that the more we repeat our habits, the more we reinforce the type of person we are. And as we, uh, followers of Christ, take on Christ and Him living in us and Him living through us, we begin to incorporate His habits into our lives. Christ's habits become our habits. We begin to show hospitality, not just to the friends and the people that we know, but also those that we don't know. That was the first week, the love of stranger. That's what hospitality is. We attempt to provide opportunities where we and those we know can experience rest, the Sabbath. We incorporate listening within our lives, opportunities to listen to God, but also opportunities to listen to one another, perhaps asking ourselves, Lord, what is it in this conversation do you want me to hear? We take on the mindset of Christ and the habit of serving others, thinking of others more highly than ourselves. And this morning, we're going to think a little bit about two opposites. We can think about the habits of the generous. Maybe the generous, the really generous in showing and giving love. The generous... Maybe they're really generous in the way they express and give grace and forgiveness for things that happen. Generous people. Maybe they're generous with their time, always seeming to have extra time for other people. Maybe the generous, probably the thing that we think about most when we think about generosity is they give maybe money generosity. Maybe they're generous with their possessions. I was talking to someone earlier this summer, and they were sharing with me a little bit about their neighbors, and they were talking about this this one particular neighbor next door. This person had borrowed their car, and they said, you know, they have a lot of stuff, and they have a lot of nice stuff, and you know, I think they're happiest when they see and have the opportunity to let other people use their stuff. People who are generous with their possessions. You know, the opposite of generosity, we could choose a lot of different words. I'm going to choose stingy. Stingy people are opposite of generous people. Wouldn't you think maybe... Stingy people are stingy with giving love. Thinking they only have a small amount of love to give away to people, so they need to be pretty particular about the criteria people need to reach before they can give love. Stingy with love. Maybe they're stingy with grace. Stingy with forgiveness. Well, you know, I'll forgive you this one time, 
I'll give you grace this one time, but the next time the hammer's coming down, I'm stingy with grace. I can't keep giving grace, otherwise people will take advantage of me. Stingy with grace. Maybe they're stingy with their time. Always thinking there's never enough time to get done what they want to do, so how could they ever give time to someone else? Maybe they're stingy with their possessions. They remember that one time that they lent a tool out to Pastor Steve, and Pastor Steve forgot he had it, and it stayed in Pastor Steve's basement for a year, and they finally got it back, and they said, I am never lending out a tool ever again. And they got out locks and they began locking up all their tools, never to allow anyone else into their garage ever again. I don't think that's actually happened, but I wanted to use me as a bad example. Stingy, stingy with lending out their possessions. You know, the simple picture of generosity is exactly what Emily said earlier, taking some of what you have and giving it to somebody else. And we think about it in those ways, then it's not just money or possessions, though that's probably part of it, but we can be generous with our time, generous with our love, generous with our grace, generous with our forgiveness, and really that's the mindset that God desires for his people, to have a a whole mindset built around a concept of gratefulness and generosity towards one another. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, the Lord, uh, he began sharing habits that he wanted a part of people's lives, and habits that were going to be a part of the nation of Israel as he was forming it. And there was one habit that was going to be practiced every seven years, and it was a habit where the Lord was almost forcing people to practice the forgiving of debts among each other. Property would be returned to people those who had debts would have those debts forgiven every seven years so that there would be no needy or disadvantaged person among the people of the Lord because it's the Lord's people that were to be this light to the nation. It was the Lord's people who were to be the generous people, not the stingy people. But the problem problem is that the people of Israel didn't always take on the habits that the Lord desired, and instead of becoming generous people, they became the stingy people that he was trying to prevent. What we find in the Old Testament is people who are in need, widows and orphans, foreigners in their midst lying within, living within their, their country, we're in need. So as we think about these concepts of 
being a generous person, person and being a, a stingy person. We're going to head to Acts 4 and 5 today. Um, I think I got these page numbers right. On the Black Bible, page 886, I know that's at least chapter 5. And then in the Student Bible, if you got those, uh, it'll be page 1,341. We're going to begin um, with Acts 4, verse 32. And it's going to help us get some context for, I think, the other passage we're going to read that directly follows it in Acts chapter 5. So let's, let's hear these words. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that, were, um, sorry, all that there were, no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. We're going to pause there before we get to chapter 5. So we can hear a little bit the, the grace given among the people, the example of what someone in our congregation was talking about of no one held possessions of their own, but they they freely lent them or they gave them to other people to use. Maybe the, the people felt better about the things they had when they knew that someone else could borrow their chainsaw, right? They, they did those types of things. And, and then they were, they were giving to people in need, selling their houses or land they owned and giving them to the apostles to distribute as they sell to those in need. And we have an example of Barnabas doing that very thing, taking the land, perhaps on Cyprus, and selling it and giving it to the apostles, setting it at their feet for their distribution. Now chapter 5, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Was not the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, 
How could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Kind of a graphic passage. What we see when we look at the first section, we see the Lord's grace evident in the people. We briefly touched on that before we read the second half. They cared for people in such a way that there was not a needy person among them. You know, we could take that statement at face value and try to live that way, and, and, and I think we, we try to do a pretty good job of that through our, our benevolent fund within our congregation. But I think there's something bigger going on than just let's care for needy people. And the reality is what we find in Acts chapter 4 right here as well as other places is that in setting up this new community of people that are following Christ, God is doing that very thing that he set about doing in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Even before that, when you think about Abram being called in Genesis chapter 12, he called them to be a blessing to the nations, to, to all people. And what resulted was that the people of God in Israel were going to live in a way which was a blessing to all people that were living within their midst. All the people that were a part of the community that through God's habits, or we could call them God's law, the people would live in a way where there would be no needy people among them. And yet what happens is God never stops that dream. He never stops that plan of having a set of people within the world that are going to care for their community in such a way that there would be no needy people among them. And it's by the grace of Christ and the resurrection of the Christ that, that these people banded together and began truly living out what God had envisioned where people would, would not be taken advantage of, where people would see their possessions as things to be given to others, not to keep tight-fisted, closed hands kept to themselves. It was the massive forgiveness of debts by the way of God through Christ that caused people to live generously. Generously with their time, generously with their possessions, generously with their money, generously 
with grace. And if we read chapter 2 through chapter 4, what we would find is that this community that was caring for one another, that was recognizing Christ as Lord and what Christ had done for them, just keeps expanding and growing. First people from Jerusalem, then people from the countryside, thousands upon thousands continuing to want to live the way God had desired them to, to forgive and care for one another. They would sell their property. Joseph, a man the disciples, the apostles called Barnabas. Now, this is the same Barnabas that would go on and be a ministry partner as well as to uh, one of the two major missionary uh, partners that we read about in the rest of Acts. And this, this one, who's a, a son of encouragement, chooses to, to sell what he had to, to care for the needs of others. Now, let me, let me tell you what, what I'm not saying we should do. Not everyone should just go today, get a realtor, sell everything they have. Um, I don't think that's, that's what, what, what the Scripture is saying to us. Um, the people, they still had places to live. What, what we would find Barnabas doing is, is he would be living with others as he was, he was moving around, right? Um, they still cared for one another. Uh, they, there were still people that owned land. There was still people that owned houses, right? So don't go tomorrow and sell everything, okay? That's not what we're asking. But, but what is going on here is the generosity that, that Barnabas has experienced in his life has so caused him to, to desire to change the way he lived to become one of those people who are advocating and telling others about what Christ has done in his own life. We see him go on to become that missionary for the Lord. The people, the people in the New Testament church were experiencing a new type of freedom. Not only the freedom of Christ and being freed from, from the debt of sin that we have in our lives, lives, but freed from the worry of looking out for themselves. They were freed from that worry because they knew that there were other people among them that if something happened, that there were other people right there that were generous and that would catch them if they fell. That there were people there that if they needed money for food or needed to get food, that there would be a way for them to have food. We see the generosity in the way, in verse 32, as people are holding things in common and in lending out almost, you could say. We see it in the unnamed persons, persons in in verse 34, that sold their property and put the money at the apostles' feet. We see it in Barnabas here in verse 36, and we even see generosity in Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But it was interesting, I was, I was reading a devotional this week, and it's, it's always interesting when things connect. The story of rich man, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. So it wasn't exactly this passage, but the author was speaking about generosity, and the author said this: 
Generosity in itself does not prove that one is in a right relationship to the Lord, but a lack of generosity is a key indicator that a person's heart is far from God. Generosity in itself does not prove that one is in a right relationship to the Lord. How true is that in these two sections of Scripture that we read this morning? We see true generosity in the unnamed people, that out of the gratitude that they had received, they sold and gave, and gave all. We see it in Barnabas as he sold and gave all, and yet when Ananias and Sapphira sold their property, they had ambitions, and they followed through. They, they did bring money to the feet of the apostles, but also with full knowledge, kept back part of it for themselves. Now, perhaps we wouldn't say that's stingy, right? They were being generous with, with what they had by giving of some and just keeping maybe a little bit, maybe it was, we don't know what percentage, 5% for themselves. But it perhaps does show a condition of their heart when we consider how they went about giving the money. They wanted to appear selfless and generous. They wanted to appear as if they were all in, holding nothing back from what the Lord had given them. They wanted to appear like Barnabas, who was before, who sold his property and gave. They wanted to appear like the unnamed people in verse 34 that would sell their property and bring it to the apostles' feet. They wanted to appear that they weren't holding back anything from the Lord, that they're fully invested, that they're fully a part of the community that they're, they're um, benefiting from. They wanted others to see them in the same light as the unnamed people and as Barnabas. And yet they lie. They lie and they keep some back for themselves. Peter, we would call this a word of knowledge. The Holy Spirit at, at certain times uh, works within us in ways where he will make something known about an individual in a specific way to help you understand how it is you're supposed to move forward in this situation. And, and Peter receives this word of knowledge from the Spirit that says, this isn't all the money. The word of knowledge from the Spirit that says, this isn't exactly what appears to be happening. And Peter says, how is it that Satan has worked in you to deceive the Spirit? How is it that Satan has worked in you to, 
to live in this way. You know, if he would have chosen, and perhaps many of us would have loved if this happens in this passage, if Ben and I would have said, yeah, you know, it isn't actually all of it. Uh, we wanted to, to keep just a little bit for ourselves. So we're giving 95% of everything that, that we sold, and we're giving that to the church. I think Peter and the apostles would be like, okay, great. And maybe we would wish that he would say, you know, this actually wasn't all of it. But they somehow double down. They double down and say, no, this is, this is exactly what I'm doing. I want to appear, I want to appear righteous. I want to appear that it's, it's me who's doing this great thing. I'm being generous. When the reality is he's not fully invested. He's holding something back. And what results is kind of this startling thing. Oftentimes when you think about the word judgment, in light of Scripture, we think about this far-off judgment that's in the future where we will need to answer for all of the things that we've ever done in our life. And yet what happens here is not a long-term judgment, but the judgment of the Lord happens in that very moment as Ananias falls over dead. You know, it's actually kind of similar to another story that we find in Scripture where the judgment of the Lord comes right away. In Joshua chapter 7, there's a story, and it's on the heels of the destruction of the city of Jericho. There's a man named Achan. And Achan, he decided to take some of the things from that city, some of the things that were supposed to be given to the Lord, and he takes them for himself. And what happens is trouble came over the whole community, and he was found to have them, and the Lord's judgment came right then and there when he kept something for himself that was to be given to the Lord. Similarly, with Ananias and Sapphira, the judgment came quickly for, for both of them when they had said they were giving something fully to the Lord, and yet, and yet they were not. When we when we try to form habits of generosity in our life, the reality is we're, we're doing that out of a position and out of gratitude for what the Lord has done in our life. And if we try to hold something back, we hold back our gratitude to Christ for what He has done to us. When we hold back the, the talents and the time that God has given us, instead of being generous with our time and talents to others, we, we limit the amount of gratitude that we give back to God. 
when we, when we give generously of our finances, what, what we're saying is that, Lord, all that money that you've entrusted to me, because we believe everything is yours, all that money that sits in that bank account, that 403B, that 401K, that IRA, that Roth IRA, that, uh, I don't know, sort of 456 educational plan, I don't know, whatever they are. There's all of these different things. All of that, Lord, is something that you've entrusted to me. Help me find ways where I can be generous, not holding back with a tight fist, not living in a way where, where somehow by holding back, I feel like if I give all of it, I'm going to exhaust all your goodness in my life. Because the reality is, when we think about what God has done for us, he didn't hold back. When he thought about being generous to his creation, he didn't say, well, I'm going to go 95% of the way, but that last 5%, I'm going to hold on to myself. We see that in, in Romans 8. The first part of this is, is a pretty familiar passage, but the second part is, is the important one. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Perhaps you've heard that before. This, this was Harm Deemer's favorite uh, passage. If you don't know him, that's fine. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he also not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, for those of you who don't know Harm, Harm uh, passed away a couple years ago, and, and <laughs> I think about this passage in Harm. Harm was going home from a council meeting, and he got struck by a car, and he walked for a time, but then he was in a wheelchair. Every time I would see him, sometimes he would say the same stories over and over again, but he would tell me this passage because he was grateful for the life that God had given him in the circumstances that had happened in his life. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? To experience those things that are detrimental in our life those things that should cause us to maybe, maybe God really doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't care for me. But to recognize that God cared for us so much to give up the one, the most important thing in his life, which was his son, so that we could graciously receive salvation 100%. So that we could graciously receive life in this world which he has created for us to enjoy. Just heard this morning, the people who were uh, camping last week, 
They were reflecting on the goodness and graciousness of what God had given them and the ability to be in that space together. To be generous with one another, eating together, sharing together, generous with time, generous with with skills as those who could make fires made them really quickly for the group to enjoy. How will not God graciously give us all things? I want to tell you, this is not the health and wealth gospel. This is not a, if you give this, you will return ten times greater. That's not what it is. Unless you're going to think about something far off in the future when the Lord restores all things to himself and we receive glorified bodies and and we receive the full presence of God in our midst. Until that day, we live generously. We live in in gratitude for the, the sacrifice that was made on our behalf that we could Maybe you could say it, sacrifice a little bit of our time in a generous way, acknowledging the need of someone else. Where we would sacrifice out of God's goodness in our life a little bit of the talents we've received by living in a way that honors God with the goodness he's given us and blesses other people in the process. By recognizing that God isn't stingy with us, so we shouldn't be stingy with him. By freely and willingly sharing what God has given with us. To recognize that whether we seemingly have a lot or whether we somehow have less and less, that we all together have an opportunity to form the habit and imitate God in generosity with what we have. So I invite us to think, how might I, how might we remember Jesus' generous self-sacrifice every day so that our generosity with what we've received doesn't flow out of obligation, doesn't flow out of a stingy heart, but flows out of profound gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, you gave to the community in Acts 4 profound gratitude for what you had done. Gratitude that showed itself in everyone's needs being met. 
from the smallest to the greatest. Work within us as well. That as we we recognize your kingdom here in this earth, in this place, that we would live in a way that is profoundly grateful for what you've done, that would cause us to live habits of generosity within our communities. And that through that generosity, more and more would come to know you and experience your love that isn't stingy, your grace that does not hold back, and your goodness that abounds. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.